I was reading in Revelation yesterday, Revelation chapter 5, all of heaven weeping because no one was worthy. And suddenly, old John saw the Lamb seated on the throne, and the glory song started. That was a wonderful song, Brother John. We needed that to pick us up this morning. There rose a lamb. He proved to be my victory. That's a tremendous thought. Well, I've got a confession to make to you. I'm going to preach this morning a message that I preached two years ago here. As I, I wanted to preach on Thanksgiving today, but the Lord wouldn't let me do that. And I'm preaching, you know, we probably sung a song this morning in this service that you've heard before. But I can still get charged up with amazing grace or what a day that'll be or something like that. And I'm preaching this because in recent days I've been exposed to some of the ethics of the social generation that we live in. Sometimes we hide our head in the sand and for, try to forget and some of us are ignorant of really what's going on or all around us. The political scene ought to tell us some of it, but the social scene ought to tell us some of it. And so I want to preach to this. When you take your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 17. The further I go with God, the more I realize the importance of the book of Acts. You think about the book of Acts. The Acts of the apostles, it says. It's really the acts of the Holy Ghost working through his local church and establishing his church in this world. And you try, if you, if you didn't have the book of Acts, you couldn't understand Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, Colossians. You couldn't understand Hebrews. The rest of the New Testament would be kind of goofy to you if you didn't have the book of Acts. I heard a preacher say that he read the book of Acts often because the great power of God is demonstrated in the book of Acts. I read the book of Psalms to try to get the sweetness of the love of God. There's so many. We'll, we'll do some of that. Don't forget, we're having our midweek service on Tuesday night this week instead of Wednesday. But we will have a Thanksgiving service on Tuesday night. And uh, there's just so much love in the book of Psalms. There's so much power in the book of Acts. There's so much wisdom in the book of Proverbs. That whole Bible fits together 
if we'll take it. So in Acts chapter 17, Paul has come down to one of the sin cities of the world in his day. In verse number, uh, verse number 15, and we'll read down through verse 22. You can stand with me. One reason I'm preaching this message is because uh, I, I wanted to introduce what I'm going to preach next week and the remaining verses of Acts chapter 17. But in Acts, t Acts uh, 15, Paul is on his, uh, Acts 17, 15, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's been to, uh, down to Philippi. He's been over to Thessalonica. And now he has, because of persecution, has been driven to the city of Athens. It amazes me every time I read this. But over here in chapter 16, uh, somewhere, uh, no, 17, uh, he, at Thessalonica, he said this, Verse 2, Paul, as his manner was, went into them, the Jews, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. I'm not going to read any more than that, but there was a great uprising. There's always a reaction to the gospel. Some of you have already made your reaction to the gospel this morning. There's always a reaction. Oh, man, we're going to hear that again. Oh, oh I, I, I'm not interested in that. Oh, that's old-fashioned, Brother Wayne. That's an old-fashioned message. There's always a reaction. Satan will make sure there's a reaction. They drove Paul out of Thessalonica after three weeks. But you ought to read the book of First and Second Thessalonians and find out there's a thriving, growing church. I don't know how he did it in three weeks, but somehow or another that church got a foothold. The seed was planted. It sprouted and grew. One of the great churches of the New Testament, the church at Thessalonica. But we've left there now. He's been driven out. Came through Berea. And now he is in verse 15 at Athens. The wisdom capital of this world in that day. Socrates. All of the wise uh, uh, sayings, the... the uh, we still, we still require some of those things, some of that junk in our schools. Those, those uh, Greek gods and the, and the, and the myths, uh, the Greek myths. Some of you have studied those. They conducted Paul and brought him to, to Athens. 
and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, that's his partners on this second missionary journey. You go back to 16, you'll see the formation of the missionary team. And uh, Silas was, went with him, and they found Timothy down at, at Derby. And now they're traveling with him. For to come to him, a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, and they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw a city wholly given to idolatry. That's point number one. The scene before Paul, he found a city completely given to idolatry. Therefore, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Others some, He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Oropagus, saying, May we know what is this new doctrine whereof thou speakest and uh, is, and for thou bringest certain strange thing to our ears, and we would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear some new thing. The second point, a city soaked in philosophy. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that that you are too superstitious. Third point, a city sunk in superstition. I don't want to apply them to Athens. I want to apply them to America. I want to apply it right here where we live. I want to apply it to the school you go to, the, the college that you attend. I want to apply it to the city councils and the, uh, the chambers of commerce all across America. I want to apply it to that judge this week that ruled that it's unconstitutional to pray in America. I want to apply it to the wickedness that we live in today. And give you, I, I hope I can give you the compass that points due north. That there's not another Savior. It's just Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I couldn't get away from that this week. I've seen the, I've seen that philosophy and superstition, some in my own family. And I, I just couldn't get away from it. While we're saying thanksgiving for living in America, while we celebrate the pilgrims 
of 250 years ago who served God and set a standard that raised up a great country and a place where God is worshipped. Help us not to forget it, that it's God and God alone. It's not the pilgrim. It's not the Constitution. It's God that we've got to stand before. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to just have your way with us. I pray, God, that you'd take charge of this message. I pray you'd awaken us as we heard in the Sunday school class and understand the, the great danger that's all around us, the danger of hearing and seeing some new thing and, and, and being trapped with the philosophies, the, the false uh, the false beliefs of a lost world. Please take charge, Lord. Please direct and guide in this message this morning. I pray you'd just help us to open our hearts to the Word of God and listen to what uh, He would say to us. Thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. Several years ago, I read an read a article in Time magazine. It was back in the 90s. And, and, uh, and the, the title of it was the, it was the, it was the feature story of the, of the Time magazine for that day. And, and it was this, that the baby boomers have got religion. That was the title of the whole thing. And I was interested in that. We had just come out of the 60s and the new morality and, and, and it had kind of evolved and there was, there, was a, there was an open message of the gospel in America that had not been there before. And I was interested in that. Some of you were involved in that. Some of you were that age, and you, were, you understand something about that. It was, I was a little bit, I was on the outside looking in. We were a little older, but I was interested in, hey, I was interested when, when, when we begin to just see God displayed on the stage of America. Here's what the book had to say. He said that the essence of the article is this, that they're not looking for a traditional religion. They do, they're not interested in grandma and grandpa's religion, but they're looking for a smorgasbord buffet. Y'all know what that is, don't you? The old buffet line where you go down through there and you pick out what you like and you take that, but the things you don't like you leave behind. I had a good friend down in Louisiana named Bill Allen. He used to preach about Burger King Christians. They try to have it their way. Frank Sinatra died and Tony, uh, what's his, Tony Bennett died singing 
I had it my way. You can't have it your way. You'll have to surrender your way to his way. Anything less than that is not salvation. I, we live, uh, it's evolved to this. Now we're, we're living in this day where we call it church, but many places it's a rock and roll concert. Don't tell me it's not so because I've been there. Church is participation by its members. Church is involvement in the struggle to get the gospel to a lost world. That's church. Our only walking order in the church is Jesus' great commission to us, going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And if you're not involved in that, you may call yourself a church member, but you're not in church. Amen, Brother Wayne. I know that's tough. That's where we are. It's not a religious feeling. It's not a little bit of, uh, just a little bit of soothing and peace on Sunday and I can go back to the hell holes and the dives all, all week long. I can't live in, I can't live my life in, he says over in James that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He compares that, that man who's back and forth like the ways of the sea, up and down and back and forth. and You don't know which way it's going to move. And some of us are trying to live in that situation and call it Christianity. I've said this before. The most miserable person in the world is the guy that's walking with one foot in the world and one foot in the Bible. You can't, you can't be happy there. You'll either have to sell out and go all the way out into sin or you'll have to sell out and come all the way over here to where Jesus is. That's the only... You cannot be happy as a double-minded Christian. So, let's get to the scene. First of all, the city given to idolatry. When I preach those three points, I'm going to be done this morning. The city, he saw a city, holy given to idolatry. What does the Bible say about idolatry? Now, I've, I went to Mexico for 20, 20 plus years. Went at least twice a year, sometimes four times a year. And I, I saw plenty of idolatry down there. Some of you have been there. You know what I'm talking about. It's a religion that has become idolatrous. We went down there to the, went down to the cemetery where as long as you're paying, they let you, let you that your, your kinfolk can lay in that grave. 
It belongs to a religion. When you quit paying, they'll throw the body out on the street and be carried to the city dump. That's not, that's idolatry. The Bible says, says some things. I, I, I went in Texas. I was preaching a meeting in, in McAllen, Texas. San Juan is a is a suburb of McAllen or a different city right next to McAllen. There's a shrine to the Virgin Mary in San, San Juan. I wanted to see that shrine, and the preacher took me there on a Saturday morning. It was about 105 that day. And I watched those old people pile out of their cars, get down on their knees, and crawl a half a mile or so to the shrine, paying some kind of homage to an idol. You say, yeah, but that's, that's their religion. Well, what does the Bible say about the, that religion? Look at it. Wait a minute. Before I get there, I might, I, I'll just throw this in. I doubt if there's one person in this congregation this morning that's ever been guilty of crawling half a mile to the idol. But you know, an idol is anything that separates between me and God. How many have given yourself to your home above God? How about to your family above God? Or to your IRA 401k, whatever, retirement. How about boats and fishing poles and, and rifles and shotguns and, and uh, clothes and uh, social status? Well, I really don't believe like that, but I'll wear those clothes because that's what's acceptable in our society. You understand what you did? You just worshiped an idol. If it's separated between you and what God says, it's an idol. And I'm not against fishing poles and rods and reels and... and uh, some of that stuff. I mean, I'm not against that in its place. But if it comes to a place of separation between me and God, it's come too far. And it becomes an idol. I got a bunch more. Music, entertainment, immorality. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 14 says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, he's talking to the church, flee from idolatry. That's a pretty simple request of God to every one of us. 
flee from idolatry. Uh, he says, he says in verse 21, uh, let's start in 19. What say I then? That the idol is anything that which is offered in sacrificials, idols is anything. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils, for you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Are you going to ignore it? <coughs> what he says is this, uh, the, uh, that the idol is demonic. The devil uses the idol to separate your heart from a purity before God and to tantalize you and take you away. Then he says over in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, in verse 4, as concerning the, as concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world there's none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, there, hey, could I say it in a 20th century American language? There's many pressures in the world that pressure us to move from our standard before God. But to us there is but one God, the Father of whom there are, there are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Let me, let, we're, we're at Thanksgiving. I asked the church, I asked the, at the youth banquet last night, get you a legal pad, get off in a still corner somewhere, and begin to list those uh, blessings that, that you have in your life, and See if you can track them back to God's presence in your life. And then, then take your pencil and start scratching through and see what would happen to you in your life if you did not have those things because they were taken away from you. God's done, I mean, Psalm 103 talks about the benefits. There's, it, the, the, God's given us not just a Savior, but... He's given us life, abundance of life. And we enjoy what we enjoy. We have what we have because of his presence in our life. But if we give ourselves to the idol, you've just lost your blessing for nothing. I mean, when you get down there if we went back to Mexico, if you get down there to that day you need a tomb, where's it going to be? It 
So, so he says the idol is demonic and the idol is nothing in this world. They're just God. Everything I am, everything I'll be depends on God. And there's no, no impact from the outside that can affect that. Only from the inside can it be wrecked. So let's go next. Verse number 18, he said, Certain philosophers of the Epicureans, the Stoics, encountered him. Some said, what will this babbler say? That word babbler there means a bird picking up seeds. He's just hopping around picking up seeds. He doesn't amount to anything. Others some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached. And they took him to Heropagus, uh, Mars Hill, saying, May we know what is this new doctrine? For thou bringest certain strange things, and all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time and nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Could I say, most of America this morning spends their time either to tell or hear of some new thing. Amen. I guess what I found on on Wikipedia. Guess what? Guess what? Uh, the, I got off the internet. Guess what? I know that you don't know. I remember working with a guy. I worked shift work in a chemical plant with a guy who would study the encyclopedias. We didn't have Wikipedia. We didn't have. We didn't have the internet, but he would study an encyclopedia, and then he'd come in and ask some innocent question. What do you all think about? And, of course, he already studied that subject. And he looks like he's so smart, but we caught him and found out he was, he was, let me give you two definitions or three. First of all, I said this city is sunk in philosophy. What is philosophy? The definition. The love of wisdom, the search for causes of all things. That's the definition. Probably never been any other society any more interested in being, digging it out, finding out how it works, what it does than this one we live in, right? And sophistication. Sophistication is not pure, not genuine. Imitation. Unintelligible. Ben Franklin said, that philosophy is unintelligible answers to insolvable problems. Jerry Vines, great preacher down in Florida, but his, his first major was uh, as a bachelor was in philosophy. He said philosophy is trying to find a, a black cat 
in a dark room at midnight uh, and the cat's not there. Over in Colossians chapter 2, the Bible warns us, 2 verse 8 of Colossians, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. That's a pretty simple statement, but it's a warning from the, from the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. Beware. Could I say beware? All these new ideas and new philosophies keep popping up. Most of them are not new. It's the same old lie that the devil's played with down through the years. And the result of philosophy is sophistication. We become sophisticated. So what is what has become look at Romans chapter one. Romans I want to talk about pseudo Wise. Y'all hear of pseudo evangelism? Pseudo, that word pseudo means false, fraud, fraudulent, uh, pretending to be what I'm not. Pseudo-wise, Romans chapter 1, verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, let's start in 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, verse 22, they became fools. Let me just say it. You can't get educated enough to get saved. You can't be cool enough to be saved. If you get saved, you're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to get down off your high horse. You'll have to, you'll have to confess who you really are down in your heart. The recipe... What saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy heart and in thy mouth, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, thou shalt be saved. It's so simple. My boy was telling me about last week he, he had a he had a internet Bible study going with some of the leaders out there to plant where he works. And, and uh, he said, we do it every week, but he had a new, new guy there. 
And they were in John chapter 1. They got down there to 114. And he became flesh, dwelt among us. We be, no, no. Uh, he was made flesh and full of grace and truth. And you know, you can read John 1, right? John 1, 1, verse 1 through 18, one of the great pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they've been all the way through it. And my boy said, I got, Dad, I got a little preachy. And he said, when I got through, I said, I'm sorry I got to preaching to you, but he said, it just overwhelmed me. The truths of those scriptures overwhelmed me. And the new guy said, don't apologize. I, I needed to hear that. In fact, I need to be saved. And and the four guys on the Bible study over the Internet led him to the Lord that morning. Lord. You understand this? You don't need more wisdom near as bad as you need to be saved. You don't need to be cooler near as bad as you need to be saved. You don't need to be to flaunt yourself as something you're not near as bad as you need to just humble your heart, get down where it really is, and tell the Lord, I'm just a sinner, and I need to be saved. Uh, my boy said, that, that fellow, after he got saved, he said, I just can't believe it's that easy. I just can't believe it's that easy. And he went out rejoicing. It'd be so easy for you to humble your heart. It'd be so easy to just confess it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can y'all wake the girls up, please? Y'all are not asleep. You're just faking it. You do it every week. Pay attention. I'm giving you something that will help you. Trying to. See, this pseudo-wise generation we live in, what they're saying is, I don't need a Savior because I'm not a sinner. I'm a pretty good person. And so this, this user-friendly homiletic that's going around, the theology, this false theology says... Okay, just invite him into your heart and go back to the honky-tonk and live your life the way you want to live it, and you're saved. It's not so, friend. There's not a new way. It's the old way. And the only way you're going to please God is step by step through that book, uh, uh, submitting yourself to him. He's the one who gets the glory, not us. He's the one who, who gives us peace, joy, and love as we submit ourselves to him. I don't know how to say it any clearer than that. You need to get a hold of it. You're not cool, and you're not smart, and you're not educated enough to help yourself. You need God in your life. That's about as good as I can say it. So let's go down to the last one. In verse 22, a city 
Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, you wise men, you pseudo-wise men, you, you cool dudes, you center of all the world philosophy, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. You think it's somehow, some way, God's going to be impressed with me enough to bend the rules for me. He's not. He never will be. In all of eternity, he never has, and he won't do it for you either. I mean, it's not a, it's not a few tears on the altar. It's not a little bit of warm feeling in my heart. It's not, it's not just going through some motion, joining the church, being, you know, we had the baptism for Daniel during our mission conference. What's that little fellow's name? Michaela came by, that little red-headed dude from Oklahoma came by. We had just baptized Daniel. And they'd been, every day we did something and they would go, they would participate. So Michaela comes by and he says, when do we get to have fun in the water? You get it? He saw. He didn't, see, he didn't understand the baptism. What he understood was there was water up there deep enough that he could get in it and play around in it. That's, that's the way we are. We didn't get it. We didn't understand it, but we joined and felt and did, and now we bought something from God. No, you hadn't. You bought a lie from the devil. It's just Jesus. It's surrendering a soul to Him. It's a complete sellout or it's nothing at all. And He sold you a line of of superstition about this thing, you know. If, 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 if salvation does not change your heart and make you enjoy the Bible, enjoy looking toward God and seeking God, if God, if God is not uppermost in all you're doing, yeah, yeah, I know you can go out there and be saved. I understand that. I'm not talking about that. But you go out there as a saved person, you will not enjoy what they've enjoyed. And you'll come back from there wishing I could get back to God somehow. That's the mark. It's not a superstitious thing. It's not, see, it's not membership or rituals or ordinances or doctrine or works. It's Christ and Christ alone. Now, we've been in Matthew chapter 24 I want to read one verse in Matthew 23, verse 37. He says, 20, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Remember? Jesus came down from heaven, was made in the likeness of flesh, became a servant, and lived his life as a poor man in Israel. That little country about that wide and about that long on a world map. 
He could have been any, he could have done it any way he wanted to. He could have, he could have rode in on the morning star and showered the whole world with fire and stepped out on it. He could have done it any way he wanted to do it. But he came and listen. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How oft would I have gathered thy children together. Listen to me. Listen to me, you, you cool dudes. You've been here. You've come. You've went. You've come. You've played your games. You're churchy. But he keeps saying, I would, I would that you, I'm not willing that you perish. I would that you'd be saved. The eternal promise of God is, I love you. And I'll save you to the uttermost, all that'll come unto God by me. That's Jesus. And you're too cool to accept the invitation. You're too cool to just... You're, you know, somehow by being here, somehow by, by being baptized, somehow by making some kind of a little profession, it somehow buys me something we got. No. No, it doesn't. It's, you're superstitious about your salvation. You better get the reality of real truth. Look at it. How oft would I have gathered thy children together, even as the hen gathers her chickens? But listen to this. But ye would not. What keeps you from being saved is ye would not. He would, but ye would not. Now let's go down. Behold, your house is left, verse 38, your house is left to you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me here with. I just want you to be honest with your heart. He has come and said, I would save you if you'd let me. You be honest with you. I'm not asking you to tell me anything. But you be honest with you and God. He already knows. Did you play a game? Are you just kind of superstitious? I think I'm saved. I hope I'm saved. I'm trying to be saved. I'm earnest about being saved. That's not an excuse. He said, I'll save you if you will. And you said, I will not. I won't do it God's way. I'll do it my way. But I won't do it God's way. You think that'll work? I've got a farm over where I'd like to sell you. You can't go look at it. There's a bridge out there in San Francisco. I'll sell you one of them too. But he says, he says it in that verse. Now the day's past, and ye shall not be saved. Read it. He said to Jerusalem, his chosen people, ye shall not find me. You think you're better than them? I doubt it. He said you shall not. Well, that's as far as I can go today. We'll pick it up there next week.
What you need to do is pick it up there right now. You ought to be sure, of, if there's one thing you're sure of in all the world, that I've heard his invitation and I have received his invitation and I've accepted Jesus Christ as my only Savior. Not what I, not what I dream up or what I want to do next week, but I'm turning myself over to him right now. That's what Brother Allen did here a while back. That's what you need to do. We all had to do it. Let's stand. Heads are bowed. Father, I pray you've had your way here this morning. I pray, God, you'll take charge and work and have your will and way with us here today. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending a Savior. Thank you that he is the Savior. And Lord, I pray, God, you'd help us to just wake up and, and stand up and proclaim him and him alone as our hope of heaven. Please have your way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Page steal and to destroy. He'd like to work that in your heart right now. He'd like to take charge of you. He'd like to drag you away from the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God back to the superstitions of the world. But he's come by here this morning and he's, he stands saying, I would that you be saved this morning. That next part of that verse said, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Don't listen to the thief. Turn your heart toward Jesus. Get earnest and serious with him. And let him make a new creature out of you. Hey, Christian, are you out there in the superstitions and the, and the darkness of the world, why don't you come back to the light? Why don't you just get back where peace, joy, love. I, my one of my... When I 
of God is still open right now and if you would he would I promise you that we'll be back at 6 tonight and choir practice choir practice at 445 and uh, so try to be here pretty important to be here today we're going to do the voting tonight so We'll see how it all goes. We're going to have church tonight, too. Let's sing our chorus for a month. It's thank you.